You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're going to finish off the first book of Thessalonians today. Again, my name is Josh Craig, the privilege of being the lead servant at this amazing church called Real Life on the Palouse. You might not have heard of this, but the reason why we exist is to reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time. And when we do that, when they accept the Lord and they make a decision to try and follow Jesus, we have another part, and just as big of a part, if not bigger, and that's to make biblical disciples in relational environments. We're not just getting people, giving them their get-out-of-hell card, and, hey, good, cool, you're not going to go to hell? Awesome, great, and let's move on. We actually want to do life and walk through and like spend time and invest and open up the scriptures and understand the scriptures together and talk about them and move through them. And so that is our hope for this church, that this isn't just a Sunday church. We do a great job here, but this is an everyday church. And so uh, we implore you and ask you to join the mission. Be part of bringing the kingdom of heaven crashing into earth. Not just have a club, not just have a thing that you go to, but actually something that you are in your very soul. Happy Father's Day, by the way, gentlemen. I thought this room would smell like jerky since we were handing out, you know, you go to girls get a flower, you get meat to eat. How great is that, right? Maybe if we upgrade, we could have like steaks coming in someday and you're just coming in, just, hang, just grab a hunk of meat and just walk in. What is a father? I was thinking about that this morning. This is uh, additional stuff here. A father, a good father is protective, Affectionate, encouraging, and a strong support system for his children. He listens attentively, respects the mother of his children, and spends quality time with his children and is their best teacher. Uh, Sociologists have found that warm, caring dads produce what they call the good father effect. Closeness with the father was associated with fewer weight concerns higher self-esteem, fewer depression system, uh, symptoms for both boys and girls. Being a father is more than just creating the child. There are some of you in here that maybe didn't have a great father that you were created by, by that being, but they're not your father. They haven't cared for you and walked with you and done those things uh, for you with you. And some of you have stepped into that role for other people in their lives, and you are a father. So it's important to remember that it is so much more than just the act of creating a child. You can be a father to somebody that is not your child. You can be a father figure. And we want to emulate and model what it looks like to be a good, good father. Amen? It was interesting. I was thinking about this this week, uh, about this idea of, uh, of being a father and what does it look like and tying it into my message. And I remember one of the first times that Carrie left me alone with our daughter, Tori. And so she left for hours. It was like 45 minutes, it felt like probably. But it felt like hours to me, like an hour and a half. And, and I remember this so well because she walked out the door and Tori was great for like 10 minutes and then she started crying. And I'm the panicked new dad. I don't know nothing. I'm sitting there. So I'm like, she's got to get home. I'm not going to make it for this. It's already been 25 minutes, right? How could I do this? I'm babysitting. It's just, by the way, guys, when they're your children, it's not babysitting. Like, what? Well, I'm babysitting. I'm taking care of things. No, this is not babysitting. And so, anyway, Tori's crying and crying and crying and crying, and I'm trying, I'm doing all the bounce things, all the things I don't know how to do and trying to figure it out. So finally, I'm like, she probably wants food. The bottle's over here. Okay, there's a bottle here. And I'm trying to feed her the bottle, and she's not really taking the bottle. And I'm like, what is going on? Why won't she take the bottle? So I take my shirt off, and I strap on my breast friend. 
there's this thing called my breast friend. And it's this pad that comes around here and it has like a head right here kind of for them to lay their head on. And I put her cheek up against my skin and then slide the bottle in there because I don't have what it takes to be that. And then she calmed down. And so Carrie comes in after being gone forever, like an hour. She comes in and here I am like sweating. I like, I'm, I'm half naked. I got the kid here and I'm feeding. And I was like, whoo, I made it through it. Here, take, your, take this child back. What am I doing? You ever think about the time when you're a teenager or maybe like the kids are a little older and if you're a dad or a mom, usually it's the dad, and the mom goes away for a retreat weekend, she's gone for like two or three days and you have to take care of all the kids. And there's this idea of like the second coming and we'll talk a little bit about that today, but like the mom's coming home, right? And you've got like pizza boxes everywhere, you haven't touched a dish for like days, this place is a mess. You got kids, they got like, they're eating a lollipop, they're like eating candy, things are a mess, all over things. And it's like, hey, I'm on my way home. And you're like, okay, everybody stop. You, bathroom, you, garbage, you. You're just like giving these commands out and you're just rushing around. And the, then she comes home and you're all sitting on the couch and you got your Bible open and everybody like <laughs> looks fine. You're like, hey, it's pretty easy. I want you to think about this with the Thessalonians. We're going to jump into our message here. Um, real people, real place. Take a look at the map so we remember where we are. Uh, top top left-hand corner over here, Thessalonica. Uh, and then the place you guys are going to send me for some study times. Take a look at the next picture. While I suffer for Jesus. No, I haven't got that approved yet, but I'm still working on it. I should study this book intently on location. Um, but this is current day Thessalonica. So remember, this is real people, real place, real time right now. This is, happen- this, is, this is what it looks like. This place is still awesome. And as you think about this book and you dive into this book, uh, this next part, there's a part that we're, we're going to skip over, but we didn't really skip over it because we did a sermon series called Faith, uh, Truth, Grace and Truth, Faith, Gender, and Sexuality. And Paul just happens to talk about sexual immorality and not to look like what the pagans do and all those things. And so that's a little part of chapter four, but I'm not going to rehash that because we hit that pretty well about uh, what is your sexual ethic? Do you have a biblical sexual ethic or do you have a world sexual ethic, a modern sexual ethic? Um, But he talks about that and then he dives into this next part about uh, they're asking some questions about like, hey, what about the dead people? But when you think about the second coming and getting it in context, it'll make a little bit more sense here. Do you know like there was two what they call parousia. Say parousia. Parousia. Um, and that means a second coming. And so what would happen in uh, the Roman culture, the Rome, Romans are ruling here, and they have these things often over in that area, still to this day, called earthquakes. And earthquakes could decimate a city. It could decimate, like every time we were in Turkey and they're like, and what happened in 17? You're like, earthquake. That's why that thing's not standing anymore. And so what would happen is a natural disaster would happen, like 9, no, not natural, but like 9-11 happened. Or when Mount St. Helens blew up, or those type of things. And the leader would come and inspect the damage or massive flooding in, in Texas. And the leader would come and inspect the damage of what's going on. So Rome would come and be like, man, my, this little place got messed up. Let's give them 30,000, uh, well, millions of dollars, let's say, in our, our world. Let's give them millions or billions. Let's get the FEMA uh, money rolling in here. We need to rebuild this place. And so that would be a Perusia. That's like this, they, they, would, they would do that. They came and saw the damage, and they would come back. And guess what? The Roman ruler wanted to know that you did with their resources. You made it awesome again. 
and you fix things. They have an expectation that they gave you something, some value and some resources, and that you're going to actually do something with it. And so they would come back, and there would be this trumpet announcing that, oh, Caesar's here, and guess what everybody did? The same thing that I did with the kids. You're like, oh, no, he's here. Let's get it all together. Hey, you over here, you over here. And they would do these things, and they'd been uh, predicting this, and they would be like, oh, Caesar, we're so glad you're here. Look at this. We have repaired this, and actually, we've made a statue of you on there. Thank you for helping us fix our city. And so this idea of a second coming is the Thessalonians' idea of like, okay, what does it look like when Jesus returns? Because if Caesar's not the answer, Rome's not the answer, and Jesus is the answer, what does that look like when he comes back? It's almost like there's a parable in Matthew called the parable of the talents. And God gives one, uh, in the story, one of the servants is given five talents. And one of the servants is giving two talents, and one of the servants is giving one talent. And guess what God is concerned with? What you're doing with what he's given you. And they would marry that up to their experience with Rome. And so the man with five talents did a really good job, and he doubled that. And the man with two talents did a really good job, and he took care of that. And the man with one talent took what he had, and he said, I knew you were a very harsh man, a harsh taskmaster. His view of God was a God of anger and mad, and and you better not blow it. And so I took what you gave me, and I buried it in the ground. And here it is. It's back to you. Return in full. And what's the end of the story? Not ex- that's not good. God expected something in return. He expected something, and he expects something from you and me. Because he doesn't make junk. He's made some pretty amazing people in here. With some pretty gifted minds. And some talent. And he wants you to show it off to the world so you can show off what kind of creation God made you to be. And use it for good. So let's jump into a whole verse. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to jump in starting in 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Anybody ever ask the question, hey, what happens to me when I die? Anybody, like... Like we, as Christians, we have a pretty good idea. We hope that we, what we know. But you ask that question before us, goes, what happens to me when I die? On the slide. And so we have this natural question within us. What happens? Am I warm food? Is my, is my existence over? Is that it? I, oh yeah, what about the people that died before me? The people that I loved and they're already deceased. What happened to them? And as Christians, we have some ideas and thoughts about like, well, what happens when you die? Well, guess what? These real people in a real place in a real time, guess what they had? The same questions. Now, here's a piece of context that'll be helpful. The cultural idea for Greeks, remember, we're in Thessalonica, right? Which is in modern day Greece. But the Greeks had been around and they have an idea of what the afterlife is. And this is what all of these people would have been taught what they would have understood the afterlife to be, just as you sitting here today understand that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are going to be with him forever. You have that understanding if you're a Christian in here today. 
You don't know where, where is that? What does it look like? How, am I going to be able to do what I want to do? Am I going to, am I going to recognize my family? What's, like, there's all kinds of questions, but in here you're pretty like, okay, I'm going to heaven. Well, here's what the ancient Greeks' concept of the afterlife was. And they had ceremonies associated with and burial rituals and all of this stuff. And this is from the 6th century BC in the Odyssey. Homer describes the underworld deep beneath the earth where Hades, the brother of Zeus, and Poseidon reigned over countless drifting crowds of shadowy figures, the shades of all those who had died. And this was not a happy place. The Greeks believed that at the moment of death, the psyche or the spirit of the dead left the body as a little breath or huff of wind. In the Greek underworld, uh, Tartarus is an uh, inescapable prison of torment. And most people went there. Different levels of heaven and kind of based on what you're doing. But most people went there. And so picture this, that that's what this group of people understood the afterlife to be. And Paul's telling them something different, okay? And so he has a little explaining to do. And so he goes on to say, after that verse, he says, uh, uh, so that you, don't, uh, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, because Paul's a hope dealer, and he's giving hope about what this afterlife could look like. Makes sense when you understand what their thoughts of the afterlife was. Like, oh, we have hope? Oh, cool, we're not going to go into this tormented prison forever? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Oh, he's... He's like bigger and better than Caesar. Like a parousia, a second coming that they would know about. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so when you think about this idea for them of the afterlife, from what they went to to where they're going, obviously they would have had these questions. It goes on to say, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates that we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, are saying peace and safety. Man. Does that sound familiar? Peace and safety. How did Rome rule? I will give you peace and safety by my power, the power of my right hand, by military control, by domination. We will force peace. Not like this prince of peace. That's different. Whoever has the biggest stick can control the most peace. It seems kind of opposite of Jesus' message. For the meek will inherit the kingdom of God. People who have power but know how to keep it under restraint. Peace and safety. 
Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Wait a minute. Paul hasn't even written Ephesians yet. This is 10 years before he even writes Ephesians. It's almost like we're doing a sermon series uh, coming up here after next week that's going to be on the armor of God. And he's already talking about it 10 years before he wrote about it in Ephesians. Interesting. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This would be like mind-blowing for these folks hearing this. Because they are under the understanding that they are going to go to Tartus. That's what they've been taught their whole life. That's what their grandpas believed. That's what their great-grandpas believed. That's what their great-great-great-grandpas believed. And he goes on to say, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. All right, let's take a pause here. So he's talking about these ideas and coming down and coming up, and we get into this idea of eschatology. Eschatology is the idea of what does end times look like. How many people think that we are in the end times right now? Got some hands in here? Yeah, different, different hands in here. How many people think that the people in World War II thought they were in the end times? How many people think, this is all good, I'm not saying you're wrong, how many people think that during the bubonic plague they thought that they were in the end times? You know, how many people read the text and you're like, Paul's like, yep, it's coming soon. <laughs> how many people think Paul's like, yep, end times, right? So there's a whole ministry, there's a whole, how many people saw uh, uh, or read books called the Left Behind series? And it scared you pretty intensely right into the arms of Jesus. So I want to give you a real life statement about end times. Okay, this is on our website, but you guys need to know just so we're not going to get into the super deep end times talk. Um, I've been really convicted about uh, what does it look like to not get distracted. And not that it's not a distraction or it can't be a healthy thing to, to understand, but I think it can paralyze people. So here's what we say as a church. We say we have people with many various views on this issue in our church. There's pre-millennial and all, there's all these different, different terminologies for it. There's really four kinds of ideas on end times. But if we were to poll the folks in this room, we'd have a chunk that believe this and a chunk that believe this and a chunk that believe this and a chunk of people like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But this is not a salvation issue. You being correct on when Jesus returns is not a salvation issue. We believe that there will be a literal return of Christ, a rapture of God's people, a catching up of God's people, and a day of judgment. We also believe that the Bible tells us that only God the Father knows the time and the hour of when he will send Jesus back. So we're not going to argue over those things. We're not going to like, you can have a discussion and have fun with those things. But here's what I think Paul is getting at here. 
So he's like, yeah, Jesus is coming back, and the, and the people that were asleep that, that are there, that are believers, because believers had died in this church and been persecuted. And I'm like, well, what happened to those guys? Where'd they go? And all of these things. So he's like, what, what's going on? So he talks about that piece that we just read, and then he goes on to this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. And admonish, I always think of that in a negative term, and it's not. Uh, admonish can mean like who warns you and who guides you, not who's shaking their finger at you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And I love this part. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not shut off your relationship with God. Do not stop hearing right and wrong. Most of us know right and wrong. Are we in the habit of asking, God, is this the path for me? Is this the right path or is this the right path? Speak to me, Father. Are we in the habit of asking, what does God think about this? If you wouldn't do it in front of your earthly father or maybe someone you respect, then why would you do it in front of your heavenly father, whatever it is? Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the relationship. Goes on, verse 20 says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, the real king, not some man-made emperor, not somebody who says they're bringing peace, that sells it from a pulpit or sells it from, from a, a position of power in our government or somebody else's government, and I have the answer. And you, Not that person. You need to know what God thinks about that, the true bringer of peace. Sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. So let's do that right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. God, he, wanted a lot of, he wanted people to know about this letter. This is the end of First Thessalonians. Read this to, to the people. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Isn't it an interesting transition where he goes from talking about like the end times and coming up and sleeping and all those things to write what you should be doing? He goes right into action and how you should be acting and functioning. And here's what I pray for all of you and what I pray for me. And if you want to hear more about like the end time stuff, there's Matthew 24, 36 through 44. You can write that in your notes. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. 
That's where you even talk about like that no one will know the day or the hour or the time. Only the Father knows that. Remember the Mayan calendar in 2012? It's like, Mayan calendar, it's over. Can't get past that. Oh, how about Y2K? 2000, all of the computers aren't going to be able to t- turn their thing. And so I buy stuff and built stuff and, and got stuff because if the computers die, then that Jesus is coming. There's always something that's trying to motivate you to, out of fear to do something that's pretty not natural. You know what I pray for each and every one of you in here and for myself? When Jesus returns, if we got the privilege of it happening in our lifetime. And some of you are like, privilege, do you know what it says about that? I know. <laughs> if we got the privilege of that happening in our lifetime, you know what I would pray that Jesus comes back and catches me doing? What he asked me to do. Sitting with somebody, praying over them if they're crying after the loss of a spouse or the loss of a child or the loss of something. Sitting with somebody and bringing them food and taking care of them, uh, uh, enjoying his creation, making disciples, reading God's word with somebody, opening it up, having a heart-to-heart conversation and actually doing what he told us to do when he left instead of arguing about when he's coming back. It's not so that we shouldn't pay attention or have some idea of end times. But that's not the goal. Is He didn't say, hey, and what I want you to do is spend the rest of the next 2,000 years predicting when I'm going to come back. You wouldn't be here if that's what the disciples did. So this is what I want you to leave with today. Do not live in fear about the end times. There's serious anxiety about being left behind in that series, Left Behind. But the book I read says, be strong and courageous. And we should have a sense of urgency, not because we're afraid, not because we're scared, like some left behind idea. We should have a sense of urgency because we get to partner with the creator of the universe. We should have a sense of urgency because he has invited each one of you into his plan for redemption of the world. The kingdom of heaven is now and in the future. Your eternity has already started when you were born. Second thing I want you to remember that God has not forgotten the people before you and he will not forget you. Partner with him. And the last thing I want to encourage you guys to do is to stay focused. Stay focused on the things that God is calling you to do. All of our stuff, all of our junk, all the things that we're buying and doing all that stuff, that is all going to blow away. But your very soul and the souls of people around you can exist forever in God's kingdom. And as he introduces you to different people, be aware of your part in their life. Be aware of your part in their story. Be aware of how you are being viewed by others because you represent the kingdom of God. Remember when you got baptized, when you accepted Jesus, not only did you get a t-shirt, hopefully, but you got the very Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ put into your body, into your soul. And it's the best gift you'll ever get. And as you, as you understand it, and as you uh, 
engage with it, it'll start to bubble out and overflow outside of you. And you might get some Holy Spirit on somebody else. Oh, I got some Holy Spirit right on me. And it becomes contagious. And it starts changing the world. There is no politician that's going to fix everything. There is no new law that's going to fix everything. What's going to fix things is when we start partnering with God the way he's asked us to. When we stop getting distracted on the things of this world and start getting engaged with the things of his kingdom. And I think that's so interesting that that's where Paul takes this. Hey, there are end times and sleeping and waking and all this other good stuff and they're coming up, down and up and left and right. Hey, let me tell you what I want you to do. And he goes on and he says, this is what you need to be doing. You need to be being caught up and doing what the king of kings asked you to do. And what I read, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what I want you guys to do is go make disciples. Go make students. Teach them everything that I have commanded you and do obey that to the very end of the age. Let's be caught doing that when he comes back. Study in times, have fun with that stuff, but don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Let's be part of the solution. Let's be part of what God has for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. The reason why we can even do this is because we get the privilege of we had a, a, a Savior who came and died for us on a cross. He wanted to show you, we're going to take communion if you don't have that or you ran into it. Raise your hand. Ron will get you one if you missed one. be more than happy to do that. We do this every week at Real Life. If you're new, you grab one when you come in. And we celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So God comes back and he says, hey, I'm a different God. I'm not sending you to torment. I'm not sending you to those things. I'm, you don't have to do all these things to just earn my, earn my good graces. I give you this thing called grace freely. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you the very, very essence of me in the form of my son who's going to come down onto this earth, live as a, live as a, a, a man, and he's going to die, and he's going to rise up, and he's going to be seated at my right hand. He's going to show you the way that we're supposed to do this. And that's what we celebrate we come to the table knowing we serve a different God. So as we do that today, join me in prayer. Father God, there's lots of fun stuff to study about the end times. There's lots of very, very, very wise people who are trying to put pieces together and figure it out. But your word says that you are the one that knows when you're going to send your son back. Lord, give us a sense of urgency without just being scared that we're going to miss out. Give us a sense of urgency that we get to walk with you now. Our eternity started when we accepted you into our hearts and that we get to walk right now. Let us hear your voice well. You gave us your very son who left us with the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. Grow that voice inside of us, Lord. Your voice, your purpose, your plan. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for how you loved us and how you're teaching us. Walk, just, just open our eyes to what you'd have. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he took the bread, he'd given thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. This is for you. Remember what I'm about. Let's remember what Jesus Christ is about. In the same way, after supper... He took the cup, saying, this is the, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. His very blood shed for us. Lord, we remember that.
Father, I thank you for this really fun book of 1 Thessalonians. I thank you that you gave Paul the wisdom to write it. I love the way that he flows through this book with praise. I love the way he flows through this book with, with what not to do. I love that he acknowledges the real questions that people were asking from this real time about what does it look like and what happens. And I love that he takes us back to what we are actually supposed to be doing and experiencing with you. Father, help us to walk in love and kindness and respect. Help us to hear your voice. Lord, I just, I just rebuke that there be any uh, uh, quenching of the spirit amongst any of the people in here that are hearing this message. That that is thrown out. That this is a different week for them. This week they are hearing from you even more than they ever have before. That you would guide them, Lord. You would be with them. They would hear your voice. Help us to be your people. We love you. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.